Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. Um, Today we're going to be talking about different standards for grading in um, public schools in general and how new standards for grading can kind of improve the learning process rather than the age-old issue of learning for the sake of earning points and or learning for the sake of credit. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. Now to move in to our topic of the day, like we, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about traditional grading and kind of the limitations of traditional grades in our current public school system in that they constantly pressure students to learn to a test and may prevent uh, actual learning in the sense that prevents value of learning for learning sake in some sense versus learning only to achieve certain grades or certain point accumulation, which has become a big problem um, in many public schools and just schools in general um, currently. So are traditional grades a thing of the past? This is by Mary Gordon. In the classroom around in classrooms around America, hands go up every day with the question, is this for a grade? But perhaps the more pressing question would be, what is the grade for? Today the grades on a child's report card reflect not only a grasp of academic subjects, but but also a wide variety of other factors such as attendance and behavior. Do traditional grading systems tell us what we really want to know about a child's learning? <coughs> Excuse me. Coming down with kind of a slight cold. So what is wrong with traditional grading? A lot is wrong with this, according to many experts. Under traditional grading, extra credit, late work, class participation, and non-academic assignments, for example, returning assigned progress report, can influence a student's score. These factors represent life skills, which, while important, don't necessarily reflect the student's content knowledge. Ellis Middle School teachers Eric Harder and Curtis Barlett saw issues with this firsthand at their Austin, Minnesota school where a hardworking student with good life skills might earn a passing grade, yet fail a standardized test, but a student with substandard life skills and relatively poor grades might ace that same test. If a substantial portion of the student's grade consists of these non-academic factors, then grade inflation 
which is the awarding of higher overall scores for lower quality work, can become an issue. Violet and Harder came to see traditional scoring as potentially misrepresenting a child's success in class. The two eighth grade math teachers decided to study the problem of grading as part of a grant partnership with the Hormel Foundation, the University of Minnesota, and Austin Public Schools. Their studies introduced them to the Ken O'Connor's book, A Repair Kit for Grading, 15 Fixes for Broken Grades. O'Connor, an expert on assessment and evaluation, says that traditional grading, which takes into account many non-academic factors, such as behavior and participation, isn't necessarily a true representation of what kids really know. Through O'Connor's work, Harder and Barlett saw a solution to this disparity by increasing the evaluation accuracy by splitting students' grades grades into more accurate component parts. What began as an experiment by two curious teachers four years ago has since branched out into a new assessment philosophy called grading for learning. Grading for learning separates two elements of traditional grading by assignment by assigning each student a content knowledge grade and a behavioral life skills grade. We believe that it is impossible to give a student one letter grade to help parents, teachers, colleges, and even students themselves get a hold of what they learned. <coughs> so what are knowledge grades? Knowledge grades are letter grades based on both content knowledge and local, state, and national standards. These grades are based on students' performance on preset standards according to the Grading for Learning Overview, not on students' achievement compared to other students. Grading for Learning introduced some big, big changes in knowledge-based assessment at ALICE, which includes students who complete all their practice work, commonly known as homework, can retest. Students whose quarter percentages fall below 50% will be adjusted to a 50% to give struggling students a better chance at passing the class. Students are not awarded extra credit. And students test, quizzes, and projects make up 90% of their knowledge grade, while practice work comprises only 10%. The shift from homework to so-called practice work at Ellis is both semantic and philosophical. The word practice, we found, has cleared some of the homework debate by having a word that means what we are doing. We are asking the students to practice using information we have been giving them. Life skills grade are the other half of the grading for learning which include practice, which is responsibility, preparation for class, behavior, which is caring and respect, teamwork and participation, which is citizenship and fairness. These characteristics are scored on a four-point rubric in which four is excellence, indicating that a skill is consistently practiced and one is unacceptable, indicating that a skill is rarely demonstrated by a student. Under conventional grading systems, academic dishonesty or really work might have cost students points. Now, such issues are seen as behavioral, not academic, and are reflected in their life skills grade. So what are some of the reactions to this new philosophy of grading for learning? Harder calls grading for learning more of a philosophy and one that is meant to change both in and out of the classroom. The program was a bit of a hard sell at first, and the student scores dropped without the paddling of non-academic points. But ultimately, grading for learning does seem to make a difference. Data from 2007 to 2008 school year from to the 2008 to 2009 school year showed a significant positive increase in the correlation between students' grades and their performance on state standardized tests. And Alice parents 
eventually came around. Because of this, parent-teacher communication resulted in parents having a better understanding of where their child's knowledge was in the subject. Frequent collaboration involving parents, students, teachers, and administrators and guidance counselors guarantees that modifications are constantly being made to the program. We realized that we were really changing a local culture of education says harder. Grading for Learning has been expanded to cover approximately 900 hours middle school or six to eight graders, and the plans are in the works to adapt the program for elementary and secondary students. Carter is aware of this sort of, that this sort of change takes time, and he has realized it will be many years before this is part of standard practice. However, he continues to state that his colleagues see this just as the beginning of the larger shift in education and where school is learning, not an amassing of points. So what are some other alternatives to standard grading methods? These can include um, from these can include uh, traditional grades. <laughs> Excuse me, apologize, my computer is freezing slightly. Um, so five alternatives to tradition grading methods. Uh, this was a topic, obviously, that was covered by many other sources other than the article we just read. And so there was a um, discussion that took place um, and that's linked on our blog talk show. In this week's evening discussion, um, they tackle the controversial topic of traditional grading systems in public education. No matter where you stand on the topic, there was much to learn on incorporating, incorporating some more authentic grading methods into instruction in order to encourage students to become lifelong learners and provide more valuable insight for parents on their child's progress. There are many faults with traditional grading methods. Relying solely on letter grades can actually be more harmful than helpful when it comes to student learning, empowering and engaging all students and measuring growth. These are some of the most notable quotes from the discussion that summarize the problems with traditional grading systems. Traditional grades are often subject subjective. The differences of grading between teachers is so huge. How can grades really inform anyone of anything? Traditional grades are often meaningless. Uh, students often can't really explain what a D is without reference to a C or a B. Traditional grades are often restrictive as well. Grades keep some students from taking risks and others from seeking talent. Traditional grades are often misguided. I don't... Um, in the discussion, the one stated that they don't believe grades motivate students to learn. They motivate students to get good grades. <coughs> Traditional grades are often unrealistic. How do we assess traditional grades? When was the last time someone got a letter grade for something they did after college? <coughs> traditional grades are often invalid if kid is working at 100% of his or her ability and is failing. <coughs> Excuse me for a moment. Let me just grab a glass of water. And I do apologize for that. Um, we were on traditional grades are often unrealistic um, and often invalid. Uh, for example, if a kid is working at 100% of their ability and is failing, do we grade on achievement or ability? <clears throat> traditional grades do not take into account the needs of 21st century learners. Reading, redefining 21st century success is being able to be creative and 
be a creative and flexible problem solver, and that throws a wrench into traditional grading. Now to some um, alternative grading methods to standard grading methods. Reshaping grading methodology in public education is impossible without also examining and reshaping traditional teaching methodologies. Most of the suggestions for alternative grading methods require teachers to change how they plan, instruct, or assess in the classroom. Taking the risk and trying one of these new methodologies has the power to successfully transform your instructional effectiveness, student learning, and parental involvement in the classroom. Standards based on grading. In the past few years, there have been many pushes in many states towards standards that are based on grading. In fact, the district that the author of this article taught for in Arizona used a FAME scale to measure mastery of standards. Determining what mastery looks like became a subjective task for most teachers. After coming to this realization, place a percentage scale on the letter grade, ultimately linking this new standards excuse me, based grading system to traditional methodologies. Standards based grading like traditional grading methodologies must also include some of the following components. Individual learning projects with rubrics. Products based learning or self directed learning needs long breeds long life lifelong learners and trains students how to complete real world research and tasks. Rubrics with a roadmap for success and teachers with more objective ways in which they evaluate student progress are also needed. When designing rubrics, it is important to not be too vague or might lend itself to subjectivity. Focus on performance, process, and progress, not solely on the final pro- product. Check out pre made rubrics or make your own free with the Rubistar. Self-assessed learning goals. Goal setting is a strategy every student needs to learn in order to be a productive adult in today's society. Students should be empowered to analyze, assess, and reflect their progress, goals, and achievements. Have your students come up with goals, personal, academic, and creative. Motivate, encourage, and enable them by providing them with a structure for measuring, monitoring, and mastering these goals. Observations, anecdotal records, and progress monitoring. In most jobs, performance is measured via observations, anecdotal records, and progress monitoring monitoring meetings. The teaching profession is no different. Assess your students' creativity, innovation, flexibility, communication, collaboration skills, and more using these tools. Create a notebook, folder, or binder with a blank page for each student. Always carry clipboard with you with sticky label paper or sticky notes. When you notice something worthy of noting about a student, jot it down. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Once a week, please place these stickies on a student's page. Try to make observations about each student at least once a week, and these notes can be used for student feedback, parent conferences, recognition, and more. Meet with your students regularly to discuss progress and set goals. Portfolios. Portfolios are an excellent way to document, monitor, and assess student growth. 
They also serve as an incredible as incredible motivators which enhance student effort. Whether the portfolio is online or in files, parents will love being able to physically see their students' progress. One of the challenges of the reshaping traditional grading methodologies is building parent support. Parents expect grades, but a viewing student reflection and teacher discussion of a portfolio is much more authentic and meaningful for parents. If you're interested in learning more about alternative grading methods, check out the former blogger of the week for this article, Joe Bauer, Abolishing Grade Archives, archives in which he teaches a school that requires grades, yet <clears throat> his classroom grades are meaningless if you want more comments on this. And so we're going to wrap up a little bit with some of my personal thoughts about this. Uh, in my particular high school, we had many different forms of assessments, and we didn't have letter grades. We had percentages. Um, and so, for example, there was a difference between having a 92 and 93%, but in some schools, both would be an A. Um, and I think that it's better to have percentages uh, versus letter grades. So that way you can kind of divvy up what each part of the participation or academic focus of the class is worth. So, for example, we had <clears throat> many types of assessments. We would have a citizenship kind of evaluation, which is how well we participated in class and did everything that we were asked to do. We had homework grade and we had project grades final and midterm grades, and then normal assessment testing grades. And I think that this worked very well. In college, however, I do have lettered grades, and my only problem with this is that it can eliminate kind of the motivation to do well um, because there's such a large range for getting, for example, a B you can get from anywhere from an 82 to an 86. And so the student that gets an 86 will still have a B, same as the student that gets an 82%. And so I feel that <clears throat> your grades should be more reflected in percentages so that we can kind of evaluate better how well your child, or in college for this case, how well you yourself are working um, and see what percentages you're actually getting because I feel like the letter grades are very vague because you can be at two opposite ends of the section. You can be the highest that it takes to get that grade or you can be the lowest that it takes to get that grade. And I feel that it's a little bit unfair and um, encourages people not to necessarily work, not, not, not to necessarily not work hard, but in knowing that you only need an 82 to get the same grade as someone who has an 86, I feel like discourages one from trying to work harder to get perhaps a better percentage or to um, get that recognition for learning. And so I feel that <clears throat> what was suggested in this um, in these two articles is very important because I feel like a lot of people do just work for grades, and that's not really the students' fault, honestly, in the world where you know, getting into college based on your GPA more than anything else and your SAT scores and then getting into um, graduate school is based on your college GPA and all of that. And, you know, it makes sense that students would be very, um, very concerned with only 
gaining points rather than really learning because that's what we've been taught really to kind of survive and in order to get into the positions that we want we have to get a certain amount of points to prove that we are supposedly worthy of being in that position and I think that's just not a proper way of evaluating students and their efforts and their achievements um, specifically one of the things that I find very true that was assessed in this article is the subjectivity of teachers, um, especially because I know I've had very easy teachers and had friends who've had very hard teachers in the same subject, and so I would perhaps get an A while they would get a C or a B minus, and it's the same material. And so it just doesn't make sense because it's not a good evaluation of how well someone is learning. So I definitely think the suggestions that were um, put forth in this article are very important. And I think that there should be a more wholesome way to evaluate how well a student is doing and how determined a student is in their academic progress rather than just solely GPA and accumulation of points and whoever can get the highest point for somehow better than students who can't. So <clears throat> that's my two cents on it. Um, I think it's also very hard from another perspective to kind of measure that wholly. I think, um, you know, I'm not very for standardized testing, but unfortunately in a day and age where we have so much competition, it's a little bit difficult to measure um, so many people's progress in school without having some sort of standardization to measure everyone the same way. But I think that is just not effective in really measuring success. And so hopefully there'll be some changes in the future that will better uh, evaluate students um, for their real success rather than just solely looking at their GPAs or their letter grades and things like that. So thank you again for joining me for this week. Next week we're going to be interviewing a very special guest. Um, this person was a Holocaust survivor and an author, and we will be putting up her website. Her name is Inge Engelbarber, and she's given many talks across the states and the world, and we are very lucky to have her on our show next week. So tune in for that and definitely listen into that because it will be very, very interesting and very, very fun. We're also going to have Sadia Ijaz and Desiree on our show, um, which we're very excited for as well. So please tune in next week. Which, And so that will be our show for next week. Tune in and I'll post links for information on her website and things like that um, so that way you can kind of get a background of our guests before she comes on. Thank you again and see you next week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.